1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: Welcome back. It's a misery Monday here on 106.7 The Fan. We're also simulcasted on our sister station, the TM980. We're presented to you by Chadiga Miles. Join the mission today at careers.mios.com. Plenty of show uh, still to get to coming up in about a half hour or so. Our pal Ryan Fowler from Bleacher Report. Set to join us, we'll take a look at the NFL Draft. The Washington Commanders, with some good luck yesterday, the Arizona Cardinals knocking off the Philadelphia Eagles. That bumped Washington to the number two spot in April's draft. We'll have Ryan Fowler uh, join us at 1230 to go through some of the prospects that Washington could be looking at uh, there at pick number two. Right now, though, as promised, it's the new year. Season of giving. We're all in the holiday festive mood. Right now, I figured here on New Year's Day would be no better time than to do a D.C. sports wish list for every team in our area. I want to start with the Wizards. Joining us to talk Wizards is our pal Chase Hughes, who covers the team for Monumental Sports Network. Chase, what's going on, my man? Happy New Year. Hey, first of all, Happy
3: New Year. And also, um, I understand Misery Monday, but with the way things are looking for the draft pick, I feel like it needs to be a different word.
2: Something right? I was saying that at the top of the show. This is the best position that the Washington <laughs> franchise has been in since I've been born, Chase. It's crazy.
3: I know. I mean, they've had uh, they very rarely pick this high if, if they end up getting a second or third pick, and especially in a year where there could be three like prototypes at the quarterback mm-hmm. position, it could work out pretty well.
2: It could. I wanted to bring you on to talk about the DC family, Chase. Obviously, we're about thirty plus games into the season at this point. Before I get your wish list for 2024 from the Wizards. Can you tell me what you've seen from this group for the first month plus of the season?
3: Well, you know, we went into this year knowing that wins and losses weren't going to be the way to measure their success this year. You're kind of looking beyond the standings and looking at the development, particularly of uh, young players and also, you know, what they can try to get from Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma as the leaders of the team. And I think all in all, it's been pretty good. I mean, I would start with Bilal Koulibaly and his development. That's been really encouraging. The seventh overall pick. Um, he's been good on the defensive end as expected. And I think he's been better offensively than most would have predicted. Uh, Denny Obvious taking a step forward after taking or after signing a contract extension. Um, Kyle Kuzma has done the same. Um, all in all, I think they'd like to play better defense and probably win a few more games and, you know, get more out of Jordan Poole, but. Um, I think they like what they've seen overall from the individual players that they've been sort of measuring this season on.
2: I know there was a lot of talk uh, when the season started, excuse me, when the draft pick was made. There was a lot of speculation about Bilal Koulibaly, and dumb fans like myself had no clue what to expect from the young Frenchman, but he has been uh, better than advertised, I would say, Chase. Am I speaking in hyperbole when I say this, Chase Hughes? I feel like Bilal Koulibaly, I've never seen an offensive prospect's offensive game undersold the way Bilal says. Yeah,
3: and I I think, too, uh, you know, in the defense of all of us who have been surprised Mm -hmm. by it, that even Bilal has been surprised. He's admitted that, that he did not think he'd shoot this well from three-point range because, you know, last year in France, he shot about 40% from three, but it was on one attempt per game, and uh, the three-point line's a little bit closer to the basket than it is here. But in the final couple months of the offseason, he made some adjustments to his shooting mechanics with his hand placement and the way um, he got his feet set. And he was able to kind of get those down and, and get enough reps um, in a very short period of time to make the proper changes and improve his shot. And he's kind of found what works for him, which is corner threes and then you know really attacking in transition. And I think we've seen him expand his game offensively in recent weeks where he's now more confident to make plays off the dribble. So um, I think the Wizards are doing a good job of kind of starting him slow on the offensive end, letting him build some confidence and go from there. And then defensively, we've seen the flashes. Mm -hmm. I think recently they're throwing more and more at him in terms of like, you know, assigning him to guard guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic and, you know, some of the better offensive players in the league, Steph Curry recently. So I think he's got to be graded on a curve in that sense, because he's, he's legitimately going up against some of the toughest guys to guard that the NBA has to offer.
2: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly, Chase Hughes. I think he has been, as you kind of alluded to, him and Denny Avia to me have been the biggest bright spots uh, this year for the D.C. family. I even think Daniel Gafford's playing damn good basketball as well uh, in terms of effort and (laughs) giving, giving tenacity on the defensive end of the floor. Chase, we'll let you go on this. We'll finish it up with the prompt we initially gave you your wish list for the 2024 Washington Wizards? I'll give you
3: two. Uh, The first one is in the short term. That is more consistent defense. Um, I think they've uh, made some strides offensively, playing very fast, scoring a lot of points. It's a good start offensively. Defensively, they need to rebound better. They need to stop dribble penetration better. And then I think they can compete a little bit more consistently. But the big thing atop the wish list Mm -hmm. is definitely – some luck in the lottery. If yes. <laughs> things continue on this current course, uh, they're going to be in the lottery. And of course, if you're in the lottery, you want to get a high draft pick. And if the Wizards are going to continue building through the draft as they've set out to do, that's the number one thing that they can come out of 2024 with and consider this year's success.
2: Chase, I appreciate you giving me some time, my friend. Happy New Year. Absolutely. Same to you, man. Happy New Year. That is Chase Hughes, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at... I wonder if Chase his name. Chase, D.C. Sports. Right now, switch over to the Washington Nationals. What's on the D.C. wish list for the Washington Nationals? We'll bring on Toby Altizer, co-host of the Bustin' Loose Baseball Podcast with our own Grant Paulson. Toby, how are you, my man? What's going on, dude? How are you? Happy New Year, my friend. I'm surprised you're still awake. You didn't get a nap in post-show, my guy?
0: I may be taking a nap right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Toby Altizer joining us. Toby, spring training Uh, get ready to commence and I believe it's six weeks from now what are you expecting from the Nats when they report
0: yeah I mean it's going to be a lot of the same for the beginning of the season for the Nats it's just going to be watching Abrams watching Gore but you know watching these young guys progress through the minor leagues I think is the exciting part and you know you got Dylan Cruz not that far from the big leagues you got James Wood not that far from the big leagues you got Brady House not that far from the big leagues so Getting those guys through the system as quickly as possible, I think is going to be the most intriguing thing to watch. I mean, it's a real possibility that come July, Mm -hmm. August time frame, that you're going to have some of those guys up with the big league ball club. And so you're going to have something extra to watch this year. So I'm excited about this season.
2: Toby, it was kind of some fireworks at season's end uh, with the Nationals. As soon as the regular season ended, the front office got busy making a bunch of moves. Uh, to the scouting department, as well as to some of the coaches on staff. What's your sense of the vibe over there on half street in terms of top to bottom with, with Mike Rizzo down to Davey. Yeah. I like some of the stuff I liked.
0: Some I'm not so thrilled about, but I think they just really wanted to shake up. I mean, ultimately Davey's still the manager. you got, you know, Rizzo still is a general manager. So a lot of the stuff stayed the same, but they did need to make some shakeups in how they were drafting. You know, obviously Dylan Cruz is an awesome draft pick, and I think last year's draft picks are looking better. But there's no doubt that their drafting process had been really poor before that. Yeah. So they needed to change that, and I think they needed to make some shakeups. I don't think people are thrilled about the fact that Jim Hickey is back as a pitching coach, but you know, I think sometimes you need fresh sets of eyes in there. I like the fact that they're still keeping things intact for the rebuild but I do like the idea that they're influxing some new some new talent and some new fresh perspectives into the organization so it'll be interesting to see what the moves are but I don't know what uh, you know I don't know how much it's really going to change from what you're accustomed to
2: when the big bright spots of last year Toby was Josiah Gray when you look at the Nationals pitching rotation moving forward obviously we saw the struggles of Mackenzie Gore but when you look at the rotation moving forward, what do you think is needed? Yeah, they need a top tier guy.
0: Uh, even if they were to say, you know, get to a spot where Wood and all these young guys come up and they're ready to go, they need an ace. Yeah. And I don't know what Mackenzie Gore's ceiling is. You know, I've had this conversation with plenty of guys around the office whether he's a one or he's a two. A either three. way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even a three, but either way, they've got some solid guys, but they don't have that dude, right? The Max Scherzer, even the Steven Strasburg type. They're kind of just lacking that top tier ace pitcher. And even if Mackenzie Gore becomes that, they don't have a number two then, right? So, I think that they need to go get one of these guys. It probably isn't this offseason. You've already seen some of the guys come off the market, and you don't see the Nationals spending the $300 million type that they have to do to get some of these guys. But at some point, if they're going to be a contender again, they have to get one of these ace-type pitchers to, to cement the rotation.
2: Toby, I'll let you go on this, my man. The original prompt and question for you. What is number one on your 2024 D.C. Sports wish list for the Washington Nationals?
0: Man, it's so tough. Honestly, it's not quantifiable, so I'll give you something quantifiable in okay. a second. But my big thing is these young guys continue to develop. Yeah. If I had to do something that you could check on, I would love to see either Dylan Cruz or James Wood make the opening day roster. Ooh. I would just love to see that. I don't know that it's going to happen, but you said a wish list, right? I yes. mean, if I, <laughs> if I said I want them up by July, like that's not hot take ish, that's spicy. not exciting. I want to see one of these dudes make the opening day roster. That'd be awesome to see.
2: All right, Toby. Appreciate you giving us some time, I man. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely, man. Toby giving us the latest on the Washington Nationals. Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey and company expected to be back in that bullpen next year. And hopefully that helps out the arms, which Toby was uh, a little concerned about. I am as well. Next, though, we'll talk about those Washington Commanders. I'll talk about the Commanders, because why not? We talked about it at the top of the show. This is the best time, in my opinion, to be a Washington Commanders fan. You got five picks in the top 100, over 90-plus million dollars in cap space, and for the first time in my lifetime, we've got competent ownership. I know the old heads out there, you've seen the pre-Snyder years. I haven't. We had to deal with Vinny Serrado and Bruce Allen Poor executive after poor executive after poor executive. Number one on my wish list, my D.C. sports wish list for the Washington Commanders is get a competent football evaluator. That matters more than anything. And I know you all are going to get your favorite quarterback here in the coming months. You're going to like Jaden Daniels. You're going to like Caleb Williams or Drake May, Bo Nix, Michael Penix. You name it. I don't care what any of you crazies think. All I care about is what the next general manager of the Washington Commanders thinks. And guess what? Even if that next GM of the Commanders thinks, you know what? I don't like any of these quarterbacks. Why don't I trade back and insulate the roster around my young quarterback, Sam Howe, and then try to swing again at quarterback next year? If he decides that's what he wants to do, I better not hear a peep out of the fan base. Because guess what? For years, for years, we've had unqualified people making these decisions. So when Josh Harrison company hires a football savant, someone that understands what the hell he's doing, I'm all on board for it. There's going to be no move that I question from the new football people. I'm such a liar. I'm such a liar. But as I keep saying, this time next week, we should have a new head coach, or excuse me, we should have a head coach opening and a GM opening. Chris, I said this earlier and I, I didn't get, your reaction from it, and I, I look at you as a major part of the fan base, my friend. Patience has to be exuded, correct? Because we all know this isn't some quick fix. I know what David Aldridge thinks, that this could happen quickly because of the draft picks and the resources you have. If you're able to hit on quarterback, it accelerates your rebuild. Look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look at the Houston Texans. It happens that way. But for my plan to come to fruition, Chris, we would have to wait until the Super Bowl to hire our next head coach. Do you worry about the time in between and missing out on other candidates? No, um, I'm not too worried about that because I think think at the end of the day, the commanders
3: are not going to be Super Bowl contenders next year regardless of everything falling into place this
2: offseason, the best-case scenario. A rebuild, and you're talking from the ownership on down, everything changing... You can't take where they are now and make it great overnight. It takes It's going to take a year or two to really become competitive, but I'm very excited to see those foundational building blocks being put into place places offseason. Need to see it happen. Need to see it happen. I already gave you my number one general manager candidate, Joe Horowitz of the Baltimore Ravens. I said it earlier, man. If we don't get Joe Horowitz, I may shed tears. I'm going to trust whatever they do, but this is the fun part about the off-season. You get to do the digging and the research and figuring out who you want.
1: This who is matches the most your exciting off-season I
2: think the commanders have had probably since they traded up to get RG3. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. Yeah. I, all the excitement is great, Chris. But the one thing that I'll continue to, to harp on, and I, I think they're going in the right direction. When they hired Eugene Shen at, to head the analytics department, I said, you know what? Okay. Josh Harris has a plan, and that's all I need to know is that the man had a plan, because a lot of us here, maybe not a lot of us, some of us here locally have been critical of the amount of patience that he's exuded with Ron Rivera being the head coach of this team. And I hope Mike McDonald sees that, look, even if you come to D.C. and the first year doesn't go as expected, maybe you have injuries, and maybe you're unable to hit on your quarterback right away, you'll have time, because guess what? Josh Harris gave Ron Rivera a whole extra year just cuz. You got to respect him for that, right? Hopefully, uh the next head coach of the Washington Commanders, the next executive of the Washington Commanders, hopefully that pairing is what takes this organization out of the misery that we've been in uh for the past 20 plus years. It is a misery Monday uh here on 1067 the Fan. We're also simulcasting on our sister station the Team 980. I agree with what our pal Chase Hughes said. I said it at the top of the show. No way. No way, no way, no way should we be calling this a Misery Monday. We're doing it for branding purposes only. Because everyone here locally should be ecstatic. Five picks in the top 100. 90 plus million dollars in cap space. And then what happened over the weekend. Not only is it five picks in the top 100. If the draft started today. If the season ended today. The Washington Commanders would have the number two overall pick in the draft. They got some big-time decisions to make. Do you go tackle? Do you go quarterback? Do you trade back? We'll talk all things NFL Draft next when our pal Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report joins us here on The Fan. Call
0: from mom. Answer
2: it. Call
0: silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
4: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. It's
2: a Misery Monday here on 1067. The fan. We're also simulcasted on our sister station, the Team 980. And always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge, Wilbert Linnell Willingham, taking you up to 2 o'clock before we hand things over to the DOC, Rick Doc Walker. He'll take you on your afternoon drive home. As I mentioned, it's a Misery Monday presented by Janika Myos. Join the mission today at careers.mios.com see a couple of you lining up on the phones. Before we went to the last break, the future of the Burgundy and Gold. What's next here in Washington is probably the most important topic here locally right now. Throughout this show, I've given you my number one head coach candidate. I've given you my number one GM candidate. If the season ended today, the Washington Commanders would have the number two overall pick in the draft. There are a lot of different ways that this franchise could go. And I see some of you tweeting at me. I see what some of the phone callers are saying. I'll be honest with you all. We are at the mercy of the next decision maker. Because let's be very honest and transparent about this. There is no one right answer as to what to do at number two overall. There are five months left before the pick has to be made. And throughout these next five months, we are going to poke holes in all of these young men's games, in their personality, their game, their mental makeup, all of it. That's what the pre-draft process is for. So by the time we get to April, Caleb Williams may not be considered the consensus number one overall prospect. By the time we get to April, we, we may find out there's a medical situation with one of the top prospects. So... I always say keep your options open with this stuff because anything can happen. So, like I was alluding to earlier, if there's a scenario in which Washington doesn't love a quarterback and they want to trade back, damn it, that's what they're gonna do. You can't cry about it, you can't complain about it. The results, the results will show for themselves come out come August, come, come September. But until then, man, this is this is crapshoot season, as I like to call it. Because remember a couple of years ago, Mitch Trubisky was considered the consensus number one overall pick. See how that worked out, right? Joining us to talk some more NFL draft is our pal Ryan Fowler. You can give him a follow on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. NFL and college football analyst for Bleacher Report. also done some work for the draft network as well. Ryan, happy holidays, my man. How are you? Happy holidays. Appreciate you having me on, the now. Always enjoyed talking to you, my man. If you kind of got to hear what I was laying out, to the fans here before we potted you up here do you agree with me when i say that that the way the pre-draft process works falling in love with a prospect right now is probably the most dangerous thing to do and pigeon yourself pigeonholing yourself right now excuse me as a franchise is probably the most dangerous thing to do
5: yeah i absolutely agree with you 100 and we we are at the mercy of whoever comes into town whether it's you know the popular names that you're hearing it's a Joe Hortiz or an Adam Peters, it's what they want. And nobody inside the building right now for Washington, whether you were a high draft pick, whether you're a high price free agent, they have no ties to you. And that keeps all of your avenues open, as it should be as you head into April. And you look at this class, and everybody knows the names up top with Marvin Harrison and Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Ashano, Joe Alt. Those are going to be the popular names, But You get a new regime in here that, again, has no ties to any of these players and wants to build this thing from the ground up. And it's not just trying to hit on guys with your top 50 picks, top 100 picks. It's what you do as well in free agency, your second and third waves, and on late day two and day three of the draft is where you're going to build the core of your roster and ultimately for Washington in years past, not just these last few years under the Mayhew and Rivera regime, but in years past when Scott McLuhan was in town or way back with Vinny Serrato, they got to find a way to build this dang thing and nothing's going to change until you get somebody in the building that understands how to evaluate talent and build this thing, both on the college
2: side and the pro side. So I'm right there with you. I know you do a ton of work trying to get to know these prospects, Ryan. Let's talk in generalities right now with the draft for a second. And I don't know how much work you've been able to do yet to this point. We're still early in the process, but what do you think is the most loaded position, so to speak, in this year's class?
5: yeah it's uh it's offensive tackle and yeah. i don't really think it's close um the receivers are going to draw a lot of attention right there's sexy position right. on the outside but the offensive tackles look olu and joe walt are going to be immediate plug-and-play starters and i feel like both of those guys are going to be perennial pro bowlers all pros uh for a long time in, in this league um but you look towards the back end of day one and you're jordan morgan from arizona wow. patrick paul from houston and a name that I want Commanders fans specifically to get familiar with is Tyler Guyton out of Oklahoma. Now yes. he's lived on the right side, Linnell. But mm-hmm. you look at these Oklahoma tackles over the years, and Trent Williams. You've seen last year with Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison both enter the league. He moves. He's a former H back at TCU, really? transferring Oklahoma. That's insane. absolutely <laughs> it is. You look That's at insane. him move at 300 plus pounds. He moves like a darn tight end, like yeah. a like a fullback. It is. Unbelievable. And you he could put his hands behind his back and tie him behind his back and win ninety percent of his rest. His feet are that good. Okay. So this offensive tackle class is by far the deepest. And for those of you out there that may be able to sneak down to the senior bowl this year, that's gonna be pay per view stuff down yeah. there for the talents that are gonna be down there. The offensive tackle class absolutely is the deepest class in this track.
2: I think that's good for Washington Commanders fans, Ryan. I think yes. we both know tackle is a huge position of need uh for this group. The one thing I want to ask you about tackle, Ryan, what's the drop-off after Olu and Joe Alt? Because I know, I see the guy, I mispronounce his name all the time, Talise Fuega, the Oregon State tackle, another guy that's got darn good feet and is a very good pass protector. What do you think is the difference, though, between Olu, Joe Alt, and then that next tier of tackle prospects?
5: Yeah, I think Olu, I think it's the ceiling for
2: scouts. You know, he is, yeah. I mean, Gonzaga kid, right, just like
5: Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. local guy to D.C. When I watched that Ohio State tape of both him and, and Joe Walt, when you watch Joe, he is that high ceiling, low floor type of player, plug and play, golden domer that we've seen over the yeah. years, with like Ronnie Stanley and Mike McGlinchey coming out of Notre Dame. But you look at Olu and his ability in pass pro and the footwork and the athleticism is truly off the charts. And he doesn't get enough credit as well as a run blocker. But for me, I don't think Washington has to go Olufashanu or Joe Alt with the potential, if they were to trade back, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. to maybe four, or five, or six if there was a run on quarterbacks and Marvin Harrison Jr. goes. Because as you move back and you mentioned Talese Fulag out of Oregon State, who has lived on the right side, and the transition from whether left to right or right to left at the NFL, it is tough. But he has the footwork and the ability to play either side for me. So, I wouldn't be upset if Washington were to say, look, we're going to take a quarterback in the top three and we're going to wait to the latter portion of day one and maybe that pick that they got with trading Montez to Chicago to use that on a Tyler Dighton or if Talis were to fall that far. Now, I, may, I don't think he will fall that far, right. but there's a lot of tackles now in that 1B tier in yes. this group that Washington could add players and they do not have to take Olu or Joe Alt in the top five just because they're the headlining names right now.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that Washington fans are going to need to get comfortable with here in the next couple of months, Ryan, because this, this board can shake out a bunch of different ways. And, Ryan, we know it all starts at the top of the Chicago Bears, and when you look at the decision that GM Ryan Poles is going to have to make down there, Ryan, based off what we've seen from Justin Fields here in the last month, I think it's a damn hard decision. I think it comes down to... Do you love one of these quarterback prospects more than you love Justin Fields? And for comparison purposes, Ryan, you scouted Justin Fields coming out. Where would he rank in this class just as a prospect when he was coming out? Because I think that's a big part of this as well. Because I don't think he's gotten to get to the right fit. And we know how important fit is with these young quarterbacks.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we lost Bryce Young this year, unfortunately, (laughs) in Carolina. It's a perfect Mm -hmm. example. Um, I think you. for me, he'd probably sit behind Caleb and Drake. I think okay. he would be ahead of the Jaden Daniels and the Bo Nixes of the world, Michael Penix. Um, so he'd be QB3 in this draft. And I think, honestly, Vanell, Justin Fields was underrated yeah. coming out of Ohio State. You know, and he was someone that had a lot of talent right with his arm and his legs, and I think we've seen that for Chicago. And I think it obviously comes down as well to what... It's, the NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Mm-hmm. And lately... Justin Fields has been excellent. And we've heard that Matt Eberflus is supposed to be back next year. There's those ties with with Fields and him and that relationship that they have this year. And I think it's a heck of a decision what they're going to have to make at one because the top player in this entire draft, Linnell, for me, is Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, some people, I know some people will say Caleb Williams, yeah. but for me it is Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, has not played a snap in the NFL yet, but I think he has every single – checkbox you want to bold, circle, highlight, whatever you want to do as far as being a potential all-pro talent in the right foundation and surroundings around him because everything correlates. But, look, Chicago has a heck of a decision, and if I'm right now, if I'm Chicago, I'm not taking a quarterback because the issue in Chicago has not been Justin Fields. It's been the surroundings around him.
2: That's a spicy take, Ryan. I agree with you, by the way. If you go search Justin Fields and Ryan Poles on my Twitter tweets, you'll see I've been banging on the table for Chicago all year long just to gut it out with Justin Fields. Cause yeah. as we just talked about quarterback is always about fit. You brought up Marvin Harrison jr. And this wide receiver class, I think, do you think receiver closes closely rivals tackle to like how deep it is in terms of the talent?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Marvin Harrison jr. Look, there were questions that he shouldn't even won the believe the coffee should have been Malik neighbors out of wow. LSU, who is sensational by right. the way. And, There are some conversations going on in league circles right now about Keon Coleman at Florida State. Mm -hmm. Look, you know, big-time basketball player as well at Michigan State, going down to Tallahassee, and his ability as a guy that plays above the rim 50-50. But there are some concerns there as far as his ability over the middle of the field, wanting to take hits, contact balance, ability after the catch. High-level athlete, but there are some questions there as we move forward into these next few months, and really what you said at the top, because all 32 boards are going to be different (laughs) and how they value these players is what it ultimately comes down to. It's not just one board every team gets, and that's what you go off of. Every single one is different, but this receiver group, Linnell, I think you know M- Marvin's at the top, and Malik Neighbors and Keon, but as you move back into day two, and, and a name I think a lot of people should get familiar with if you know whether you're a Commanders guy or Ravens or any NFL team that needs that wide receiver two or three is Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky every single year pumps out NFL talent, yes, and this is do. a kid that's <laughs> been Yeah, he's been on NFL talent radars for a long time. And get a lot of comparisons to Devo Samuel. We'll we'll hold off on that for just a little while. (laughs) But someone that's over 200 pounds, you get the ball in his hands in the perimeter, whether it's a designated touch or he's beating a safety cover three over the top. And he gets the ball in his hands, and it's hard to take him down. And he is an electric athlete, again, with the ball in his hands. So Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, if potentially Washington were to lose Curtis Samuel in free agency this year, I'd love to see him back, Linnell. Yes, I would. That's a potential guy. In round three, that I would like for Washington a potential
2: target. We're joined right now on the BetQL guest hotline by our pal Ryan Fowler, NFL and college football analyst for Bleacher Report. He's also done some great work for the Draft Network as well. You can give him a follow on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. Another big position of need, Ryan, that I feel like is going to be hard to address in the draft is edge rusher. Doesn't feel. Tell me if you agree with me. I feel like it's top heavy in terms of this edge rusher class and there's not a lot of depth in it. If you were Washington here and with one of those mid-round picks, who's the tier or some of the guys in that tier of edge rusher that you'd be looking after? Because I don't think they'll be able to get your Dallas Turner or, or, or your Latu from UCLA.
0: Yeah,
5: I agree with you. I think Latu Latu, he's going to be my edge one. I think he's an absolute technician with his hands. Um, he really separates from guys like Chop Robinson, Jared Burst. Yeah. We'll see Braylon Trice tonight against against Texas. This will be a fun matchup as well. Of course, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell from Alabama against that Michigan front five. But as you move back into day two, I think there's two guys that I have my focus on. And it's really Jonah Ellis from Utah, about 6'2", 245, that modern blend of speed and power off the edge. Gabriel, Gabriel Murphy, who was the running mate to Latu a at UCLA, he's a grown man on the edge. About 6'2", 255, 260. So a little bit of that throwback, physical, heavier type of defensive end, that and that even front that we've seen from Washington this year, but he's going to probably run more mid four sixes. And at that, yeah. that weight, you got some juice to yourself. And we know that high-level athletic profiles are what NFL teams like a lot. And another guy we're going to see down at the Senior Bowl is Darius Robinson from Missouri. And he may be the most advanced run defender hmm. in this class. His hands are spring-loaded. They're, they are extremely, extremely powerful. And I don't care if he's facing an Fashanu. Or one of the tackles in later portions of the draft are expected to come off the board, his hands will jolt you back. It doesn't matter who you are. And his pass rush repertoire is continuing to evolve. Now, that will limit him, right? Yeah. Teams want to scout these guys and your ability to rush the passer. But again, Darius Robinson from the zoo, who has a they have a ton of guys coming out this year yeah. on the defensive side of the ball, and Gabriel Murphy from UCLA are two guys as we work into the middle rounds, two names for Washington to nothing.
2: Hopefully they're able to have similar production to a guy like uh, Yaya Diaby and and the kid that got Byron Young out in L.A., another couple of kind of middle-round edge guys that came out and provided some major pass rush juice in year number one. Ryan, I will let you go on this, my friend. We're going to play general manager here for a second. The season ended today. If the draft started today, excuse me, Washington's on the clock at pick number two. Let's say the Chicago Bears go with Marvin Harrison Jr., number one overall. If you are the GM of the Washington Commanders, where are you going at pick number two?
5: Yeah. Uh, well, look, Linnell, I love you put me on the spot here. <laughs> I love that. Um, I know there's a lot of avenues. Um, I don't think you can pass up a talent like Caleb Williams. Yeah. Um, I would take Caleb Williams, and I would try to do everything possible to do whatever possible to get in guys along that front five because at the end of the day, you are not going to have an offense at least reach your performance ceiling with Terry McLaurin, John Dotson, Curtis Samuel back or not. They need some additions at tight end. We're going to be able to run the ball with Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez moving forward. they got to address the front five. Gotcha. So my focus would be potentially move back. But if you're at two and you're going to stay there, I think the focus is Caleb Williams from USC.
2: You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Caleb Williams coming to D.C. based on Ryan Fowler's analysis. Ryan, I appreciate you giving me some time on the holiday, my friend. Enjoy. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mel. That is Ryan Fowler, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. It was a crazy, crazy, crazy week 17 across the National Football League. We had upsets galore, teams fighting for playoff positioning. We had some injuries happen as well. We'll pause real quick. When we come back, the most highly anticipated power ranking segment at all of sports radio, it's time for Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Big thank you to Bleacher Report College Football Insider, Ryan Fowler, for joining the program. If you missed any of my conversation with Ryan, make sure you use the Odyssey Rewind feature on the old Odyssey app and go back to the 1230 segment. Uh, from my conversation with Ryan. Plenty of good NFL draft talk as he's one of the guys taking the liberty of grinding the tape, trying to, uh, trying to get things figured out here and see who's going to be at the top of this board come April. The one thing I'll continue to say about the draft, and I've said it multiple times already throughout the show, five months from now, or excuse me, four months from now, January, February, March, April, three months from now, <laughs> Uh, the commanders are going to have a big-time decision to make. And in these next three months, we are going to pick apart these draft prospects each and every day. And you're going to find holes in, in kids' games. And it's just the way that we do it. Last year, it was C.J. Stroud was the guy that got picked apart. And they were talking about his his was it his S7 test scores. And they weren't high enough. And he wasn't a good enough processor. Processor Smossesser. Watch the damn tape. The kid was by far the best quarterback in college football a season ago. And it's the reason he's having the success right now at the NFL level. Not the only reason, though, because the one thing I, I said earlier, too, that I, I strongly believe is why I'm not willing to write off a guy like Sam Darnold permanently. Is why I'm not willing to write off a guy like Sam Howell permanently or, or Zach Wilson permanently or Justin Fields permanently. The quarterback position in the National Football League and whether or not you have success early as a young player is dependent upon fit. You got to be drafted into a QB-friendly environment. When Trevor Lawrence was drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer was there, he wasn't put in position to succeed, right? Think about the crap show that was the Jacksonville Jaguars at the time. Even looking at Justin Fields. Got Luke Getzey, a first-time offensive coordinator, calling plays for him. It's about fit. It's not a good QB-friendly environment. Offensive line's bad. You don't have a defense. And look, I understand that's going to be the case when you're picking that high in the draft. That's why there are game changers and game managers as our guy Cam Newton said. Like I said, three months to pick apart these prospects, three months to figure out what you want to happen here in D.C. But by the time we get to April, I promise you, I promise you, the big boards that you're seeing right now are going to look a hell of a lot different after these talent evaluators get the opportunity to go through and do some of the dirty work uh, on some of these NFL prospects. Like I said, it was a crazy, crazy week 17 in the National Football League. The definition of any given Sunday continues to get proven throughout the National Football League. We got plenty of great stories. Joe Flacco, another 300-yard game. We have the controversial ending to Cowboys and Lions. We have the New England Patriots giving the Buffalo Bills a run for their money. Another strong performance from Justin Fields and the Bears. And then we have the old Philadelphia Eagles getting upset Helping out the Washington Commanders, bumping us up to the number two overall pick. With all the craziness that we had go around in the NFL in week number 17, it's a perfect time for Nell Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League.
6: Nell Super Six Pack. Three, three, two, two, y'all. One.
2: Number six in Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. I've had them at one at points in the year. I've had them at two at points of the year. This is the lowest they've ever been ranked in Nell's Super Six Pack. Coming in at Nell's Super Six Pack, the sixth best team in the National Football League, in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And guess what? I'm going to stop calling them. Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs. I need to start saying Steve Spagnolo in the Kansas City Chiefs. I need to start saying Trent McDuffie in the Kansas City Chiefs because if you've watched Chiefs football in 2023, that defense has been with spearheaded things. Offensively, they're trying to get things going. Last week was huge, and I feel like as we get geared up for the postseason, it's about who gets hot at the right time. The Chiefs offensively have looked broken for the last month. They showed signs of life on Sunday, and it really started on the ground with Isaiah Pacheco. 18 carries, a buck 30, 7.2 yards a pop. They had real balance offensively, and the Bengals' pass rushers weren't able to just pin their ears back and go chase Patty Mahomes all afternoon. That was their issue the week prior against the Las Vegas Raiders. I believe at some point this Chiefs offense will get it figured out. Rasheed Rice continuing to burst onto the scene to show the National Football League he is the number one wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs. If they can ever get it figured out consistently on the offensive end, uh, the Chiefs will be damn good, and they're going to be a tough out in the AFC playoffs. They come in at number six, number five, and no Super Six pack. My top six teams in the NFL. This ranking, I admit, will be a little bit controversial, but just bear with me. Coming in at number five, and no Super Six pack. My top six teams in the NFL: Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Huh? Why would you pick the Bills? Have you seen the way they've looked recently? Yeah, I have. I should be asking you all the exact same question. Think about where the Bills were after their loss to the Denver Broncos in primetime about a month and a half ago. People were ready to put a fork in the Buffalo Bills saying they were dead. You had the report come out about Sean McDermott and some of the bad analogies he was using in the locker room. Don't look now, folks, but the Buffalo Bills... Winners of five out of their last six, and the only loss that they had, they suffered on the road to the Philadelphia Eagles, 37-34. But outside of that, Buffalo playing damn good football. Yes, I know it's been sloppy offensively here recently. I know Josh Allen struggling to protect the football. We know this. But don't look now, folks. The Buffalo Bills have a running game. James Cook and company have figured it out, and if they're able to win in the trenches come playoff time, There is no team in the AFC playoff race that wants to see the Buffalo Bills. Crazy scenario for them this weekend. If they lose, they could end up being eliminated from the AFC playoffs in its entirety. If they win, they could finish as high as the number two seed and win the AFC East. So a lot of changes have happened recently with the Buffalo Bills. They're winning ugly right now, and I think they should get some credit for that. Coming in at number four in those Super Six-Pack, my top six teams in the NFL, Joe Flacco. In the Cleveland Browns, yes, I'm doing it. I am bought in to what Joe Flacco and company are doing. And it's not really about Joe Flacco, if I'm being honest. Yes, he's come in and kick-started this passing offense. He's got Amari Cooper engaged, locked, and loaded. But, man, defensively, the Browns have what I like to call a championship defense. We know the old adage, defense wins championships. The Browns have one. They're legit on that side of the football. They've got pass rush. They've got one of the better one-two punches in the NFL at corner with Greg Newsom third plan out of his mind. They're a legit group. The reason I love the Browns as well, and this has nothing to do with their standing, but they're battle-tested. I know they shouldn't get more credit for winning with injured guys, but damn it, this is why I want to take from their uh, executive tree. This is why I want to hire someone from Cleveland, potentially, if we don't get my guy from Baltimore. Look at what they've done, hitting on draft picks and building a roster that has enough depth that you can withstand all of the injuries that Cleveland's gone through this year. Who's going to want to go to, or who's going to want to play the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs? Luckily for the rest of the league, they don't have a shot at winning the AFC North because I'm telling you, nobody uh, will want to go see Cleveland. Coming in at number three in the Super Six Pack, my top six teams, In the National Football League, the Dallas Cowboys. And look, they ran away with one on Saturday. We all know the controversial controversial call at the end of that game. I still believe in Dallas, though, and for whatever reason, it it took them a month, but C.D. Lamb has gotten going. What he has done here over the past two and a half months after they lost to San Francisco has been absolutely phenomenal. There's an argument to be made that C.D. Lamb is playing like a top-five receiver in the National Football League. It was no different for him on Saturday against Detroit. 13 catches, 227 yards, and a touchdown. If I'm not mistaken, post-game on the broadcast, when he was talking to Lisa Salters, I believe they announced that he has set the all-time record, or the franchise, or the single-season record, excuse me, uh, for receptions in the season and yards in the season for the Dallas Cowboys. So the 88 club has another damn good Member of it. CeeDee Lamb playing very good football. That's why the Cowboys coming at number three. Number two in L Super Six Pack. My top six teams in the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers. Love, love, love what San Fran has done all year long. They came and whooped up on us this past Sunday. Brock Purdy, I think, should have garnered the respect of people around the National Football League. Calling him a game manager at this point is kind of silly. The plays he makes off schedule. uh, The accuracy that he's throwing with. He's decisive with the football Love everything about Brock Purdy. Uh, and I think the Niners are going to be a tough out in the NFC. If you had to put a gun to my head or shoot me up with some truth serum, I think the Niners are going to the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. And I think they'll face the team that's number one in no Super 6-pack. The MVP front runner, The best damn player in all of the National Football League. And it's not even close. Lamar Action Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Back-to-back convincing wins over the best teams in football whooping up on the Niners on Monday Night Football, and then on a short week, coming home and dominating the best offensive football in Miami. The Ravens got some respect from your boy. That's going to do it for now Super 6-pack. My top six teams in the NFL will run through it again real quick. Six, the Chiefs. Five, the Bills. Four, the Browns. Three, the Cowboys. Two, the Niners. One, the Baltimore Ravens. The final hour of power coming up next here on The Fan. When we get back, we'll take a big picture look at the National Football League and look at all the top storylines coming out of Week 17.